Um, I want to tell you two stories that, I, that I've heard. Um, one is a story of some neighbours living together in a pair of semi-detached houses together. Uh, one house lived in by, by a lively, happy family, and the other half lived in by a very quiet and very private elderly couple. Uh, one day in the school holidays, the husband of this quiet elderly couple, there we go, uh, and we'll do this as well, came round and said, uh, please could you keep the noise down? Which was a surprise to the parents, although their teenagers did practice their musical instruments, they were surprised that the neighbours would feel that way, and after being surprised were then annoyed and explained to the elderly gentleman uh, that you have to give children space. So the gentleman went home quietly, and life carried on. A few days later, he came back saying, I'm I'm so sorry to ask you again, but is there any way you could please reduce the volume? Now, forewarned of the issue, the parents were quicker than ever, quicker than before, to explain just how unreasonable this request was, and the man went quietly home. And life carried on. A few days later, he came back again. And uh, this time, the parents were really fed up with being nagged and were ready for an argument. They opened the door to him and he said, my wife didn't want strangers to know this, but she has leukemia. She was discharged from hospital a week ago to die at home in peace. Can you keep the noise down? Sometimes there's just a little bit of something more that we didn't know that changes the whole thing. And God wants to give us insight to things that will, will, change, will change the whole thing, things that we just didn't know before. Uh, a little bit more positively than people dying, um, there's another story uh, that is told and of um, British people moving to China sponsored by a mission organization and going and living in the middle of nowhere and looking for some home comforts and loving playing tennis and therefore building a tennis court in China and having a great time enjoying themselves, playing the game, feeling at home, getting some exercise. Are there any tennis players here? There are a few and they're looking happy even as we talk about it. That's great. Um, one day, as they're running around the course, the, the court, sweating, some local uh, people came up and stood, looking slightly puzzled, and chatted and tried to work out between them what was going on. And then, after a while, um, stopped the British people playing tennis and said, um, "Excuse me," they said, "but isn't there anyone else that you could pay to do this for you?" <laughs> They just, they just didn't know the joy that made sense of it, the pleasure that changed around the whole thing. And of course, the internet is full of pictures that say something like, you'll love it when you see it, like this one. Can you see? Some of you, it's not a long beard. 
there's a girl there. There's a girl there with her back to you. It's not one person, it's two people. Oh, it's finally dawning. The internet's full of these things. Type in the phrase, you know, when you'll love it when you see it, or something like that, and you'll get... Well, you need to be careful when you type things into the internet. Into the internet but but um, it's, the fact is that there are moments when we see something that we've not seen before, and it's not just another additional piece of information to add to the pile of pieces of information that we know. There are times when we see things for the first time, when we hear things for the first time, and it changes everything. It, the, the whole of the situation, the whole picture is, is altered. I'm going to read from the book of Ephesians from, in chapter 1 and from verse 17. I'm not going to read it all in one go, but take it one little bit at a time. And it says in chapter 1 and verse 17 this. It says, Paul's prayer. I keep asking that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I'll put it like this. If only, if only you knew God better, everything, everything would be different. Paul prays this. I pray that there will be a spirit, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to you. Because if I knew God better, I know it would change everything in my life. If you knew God better, if only you knew God better, it would change everything. Let's just think about that. If you knew how good God really is, you would stop looking to other people to meet your needs. If you knew how gracious God really is, you would stop trying to prove yourself. If you knew how great God is, you'd stop trying to control everything around you. If you knew how glorious God is, you'd stop being afraid of other people and fear him alone. If you knew how faithful God is, you'd worry much, much less. If you knew how forgiving God really is, you would live life without shame. If you knew how alive God is, you'd have a lot more fun. If you knew how active God is, you would allow yourself to be still. If you knew how holy God is, you would have a fire in your belly for righteousness that left you so pure inside in places you hadn't even known were dirty. So he works from the inside out. If you knew how unique God is, how there is none like him, you would worship him forever and a day. Paul prays out. 
I wish you knew God better. If only you knew God better, it would change everything. Life would never be the same again. Just this morning, get a glimpse more of what God is like. Your, your life will never be the same again. There is nothing more significant and nothing more powerful than having true knowledge of the living God. I wish you knew God better. Note, in this prayer, we learn that this knowledge is not gained by human effort alone. It's not just a question of opening the study books. May God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We know that spirit, that's God himself coming and dwelling with us, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, as it's recorded in John 16 and verse 13, the Holy Spirit that he would send would lead us into all truth. He's the one by whom revelation comes. There are plenty of people who've studied theology and don't know God very well at all. People filled with the Holy Spirit know that God loves them. And that same Holy Spirit, he guides us into all truth. As the next verse goes on to say, Paul prays that the eyes of the hearts of these Ephesians would be enlightened. This isn't the only thing that he says, oh, if only you knew God better, that would change everything. He's got more for which he prays. The next thing he prays is this. It's about hope. If only you knew the hope to which he has called you, it says in verse 2. Actually, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. Now, in the New Testament, the word hope is most often associated with our eternal future. So you could read in Titus 1, verse 2, for example, the phrase, the hope of eternal life. If only you knew, you're going to live forever. Death is it's not the end. If only you knew. Um, there's a little illustration here, which I first remember being shown many years ago. Can you see that tiny little red line down there? Now, uh, the Bible says that it's a blessing to live for three score years and ten to 70 years old. Nowadays, whilst the average life expectancy is in the mid-80s, the age at which you're most likely to die is if you're a man is 89 and if you're a woman is 90. It's the age at which you're most likely to die. So let's assume that that little red line represents 90 years of life before you, you die. Well, eternity is something like that. That's just the beginning. That's why it's got a little arrow at the end, because that's not the end of it. That's just the beginnings of eternity unfolding for us. The whole of this life is the smallest of preludes to what we will enjoy forever. It's very hard to get our heads around the idea of, of forever of eternal life. No wonder Paul prays that, uh, I pray that you'd get this, because it's quite big for our little heads. He says, I pray that you get it. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you'd know this hope. It's a hope that's eternal. 
It will go on forever and forever. Death isn't the end. And this truth also changes everything, changes our whole perspective on life. It's like putting on a new pair of glasses and seeing the whole of life differently. We don't grieve, the scriptures say, as those who have no hope. That's not what we do, because we know this. It also makes a difference in this life, this hope. It changes our perspective for now. It means that we are not overwhelmed by the moment, as if this moment is the only thing that matters, because it's not even this life that is the only thing that matters. And so this, this particular moment doesn't overwhelm us. Uh, some people are feeling overwhelmed by politics at the moment, Brexit craziness. There's a very sane and Christian article written by Graham Tomlin, the Bishop of Kensington, in uh, The Times back in November. So it's not quite up to date with all of the further craziness that has developed since November. But listen to what he writes. As things stand, we will leave the European Union at 11 p.m. on Friday, March the 29th, 2019. That will be a strange day. Now, there's discussion now about whether it might be put back, but uh, here we go. Whatever that day is, for some, it will be a day of triumph. An end to an unhappy relationship opening out into a bright future. For others... It will be a day of gloom, a tragic result of a foolish and unnecessary decision. For still others, it will bring mixed feelings, a Brexit, but not the Brexit they wanted. All this uncertainty makes us anxious. Remainers wonder if the future will be bleak, lonely and insular. Those who voted to leave worry about whether we're making the most of this opportunity for change. And anyone under 45 just can't imagine life outside the EU because they've never experienced it. How do you live, he writes, with uncertainty? How can we navigate choppy waters where the winds of change are blowing strongly and discerning the future is like looking into the fog? There's an old tip for seasick sailors in heavy storms. Keep your eyes on the horizon. Besides getting on with the immediate task in hand, every now and again, you have to look beyond what is immediately in front of you and into the far distance to give a sense of stability. One of the problems of our secular age is that without any sense of the transcendent, and the word transcendent means things that are utterly different to our everyday lives. Eternity is a transcendent reality. One of the problems of our secular age is that without any sense of the transcendent, it's hard to look beyond what's in front of our eyes. So the economy and politics loom much larger and seem all-important. The horizon is narrowed, and the world is shrunk. 
Steering your way through stormy waters requires a long view, eyes on a distant horizon. It needs a sense that there is something beyond the economy, political deals, and the changes and chances of history. We need to believe that underneath all the shifting sands of history, there is a steady current of grace and goodness. If only we knew the hope to which we're called. Uh, In about a month or so's time in this building, there's going to be a day conference. That was his article. I should have clicked to. It's going to be a day conference which is entitled Contagious Hope. And I thought I'd mention it whilst talking about hope. It's a conference for Christians working in health and social care. And there are some leaflets around it somewhere. I had one to wave at you. But they're on a table at the back. If you want to know any more details about it, it's in my Bible. Um, They they look like that. Um, We ran this for the first time last year. I felt... In the summer of 2017, I felt God speak to me and say, gather Christians working in health and social care. There's something I want to do. So I announced at a meeting of lots of churches together that there would be a conference and who wanted to help make it happen. And it it did happen. And it was a time uh, in February 2018 of profound encouragement coming to people um, and perspectives being shifted. If you work in that sector, you might be interested in this. I suggested that we called the conference Infectious Hope. Uh, and then the medical people involved said, no, you don't want to do that. Oh, I don't, don't, don't I? No, no, we're calling it contagious. So apparently that's better. Apparently you have to touch each other. Can someone, is that right? I'm looking at Bex like you would know. But I mean, for contagion to take, I don't understand, but that's the title. But the bit I do understand is hope. The, 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 the real genesis of, I mean, I did hear God speak to me about, uh, very clearly about, proposing this conference, but the, the, the seed of it came from a conversation with a GP who was feeling overwhelmed, utterly overwhelmed, but she's a Christian GP. So whilst feeling, on the one hand, overwhelmed, still hoping, not able to let go of a sense that there's a better future beyond the immediate pressures, because she knows it's been... Re- she knows that there is a hope that lasts. If only you knew the hope. What does it go on to say in verse 18? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The next thing is, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. You know, in the Old Testament, the word inheritance is often used to describe uh, what God gets. That is, his people, he's so pleased to have the people Israel, they're described as his inheritance, that which comes to him. But in the New Testament, the word gets used in a slightly different way. And the closest parallel in the New Testament to this phrase, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people, is in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 12 and 14, which help us then to understand what's meant here. In Colossians 1, it says this, the father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this gives us a window onto the rich inheritance that Paul's writing about here in Ephesians. We're redeemed. Wow. Then if you 
Do you know what that means? I hope so. It means that you've been bought at a price. And uh, talking about riches, I don't even know what currency that is, but it looks quite a good one because it's, it's all golden. Sh- it's shiny. It's... No, that's real money. Sure it is. And uh, I mean, cl- clearly you're more interested in chocolate than you are in gold, which I'm surprised by. But there we are. Um, I can't imagine anything more valuable than the lifeblood of the living God. I mean, you get a you know, price per ounce of different commodities, and gold beats chocolate. <laughs> I'm sure there are other things that beat gold. I don't know what the rarest materials and minerals are, but none of them ha- are a patch on... What, what would you pay for an ounce of the lifeblood of the living God? Well, I don't think you can. The, the, it's beyond compare. It's off the scale. It's not a currency you can do an exchange with. And yet, the living God comes and submits to death on a cross and sheds his blood, and that's the purchase price. You've been bought, been redeemed, been forgiven. If only you knew. In eternity, you will be entirely set free from sin. All your sins will be washed away. If only you knew. The power. It goes on. Can we have a click, please? If only you knew the power. The next bit it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. What kind of power is that? Well, it's, we've sung about it this morning. It's resurrection power. It's power over the grave. And it's power over the whole universe. Because it goes on to say this, verses 19 to 21. That power, it's the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above, this is how Chris was praying, all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but in the age to come. You know, uh, we can be nervous about power, or at least, you know, if, if you um, feel that you know, the British history is part of your inheritance and the way in which our forebears went round the world and imposed themselves, we can be nervous about power. If you come from a country that has uh, unscrupulous political leaders, you might be nervous about power. All kinds of reasons to. It doesn't actually say in this verse that God will make us powerful, which is where the anxiety comes. What it actually says is that he is powerful. God's power, the knowledge of God's power affects how we pray. You can tell how much someone knows God's power by how they pray. Uh, We spend our lives as Christians growing in prayer. Uh, The stage of growth that I've yet discovered, I find myself ahead of that Engage conference for Christians working in health and social care. 
I found myself praying for a wave of witness and of healing power to flood our care sector. I pray that nurses will not only call for the Christian chaplains when someone is dying, but as a regular part of patient care. They'll just be normal. I don't know what you pray for. I pray for revival. I pray that when people are walking down the streets, they'll suddenly become keenly aware of their sin and seek out Christians saying, what must I do to be saved? Believe God can do it. And this is personal. And back five years ago, uh, in a time of worship, I felt God whisper to me a simple phrase. The phrase was, a hundred sons. I have three daughters. And I was fairly sure this wasn't a call to polygamy. <laughs> but to an effective life of leadership. And I shared it with, um, um, with Steve, with Steve Thomas. And he said, well, that's a lot. <laughs> in fact, he said, that's more, than, more people than I've, and, than I've influenced in that way. And I said, well, I don't know what, I don't know what to do with that, really. I don't know what, why. What I do know is that God is able and I wonder what it is that God's spoken to you about your life. It may be that there's been some revelation. You, maybe it's come out of a reflecting on what your gifts are. Maybe you've got something that's come clearly by a revelation through the Holy Spirit. I don't, however, it's, however it's come, maybe you know something of your future. Sometimes the challenge is, and I heard Mark put this very clearly recently, sometimes we have vision but not faith. It's like we can see it, we can imagine it, but we don't think it's going to happen. If only we knew the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and established him as head over everything. If only we knew the power of God, it would change the way we pray and we would pray for the things that only God can do. Finally, in this passage, the passage goes on to say, if only you knew who you were. It goes on to say, God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, theologians actually, to be honest with you, don't have a settled view of exactly how to interpret every aspect of this verse, because the most obvious meaning of the word fullness uh, is at odds with the most obvious meaning of the whole phrase. If you want to look that up, by a commentary. Here's what's clear. As it also says in Colossians 1, Christ is head over everything that is over the whole cosmos, and he is head over his church, that's us, his people. As head of the whole cosmos, he actively rules over all things. All things includes your morning commute, it includes your Sunday lunch. It includes your wages and your debts. It includes your health, the health of the nation, the forests and the rivers, mountains and the oceans, the plastics and our climate. God rules actively over all of these things. He is the head over all things. All things have been placed under his feet and he rules He's also head of the church. Now, as Christ rules over the cosmos, it's not the case that the cosmos, he's head of the cosmos, 
but the cosmos is not his body. He rules over it, but he doesn't have that kind of relationship with it. But when it comes to the church, of which he is also the head, it says here very clearly, head over everything for the church, which is his body. There's a different kind of a relationship. And what this means is that you and I, as I've hoped to indicate in the picture, you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus, not just sort of in the world, but in the world that he rules. You and I are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world that he rules. And that means that when you turn up anywhere as a Christian, Jesus turns up. That's what's happening in the Lees. It's a board games club, but it's run by Christians. So you can go to that board games club, and now you might win or you might lose, but you'll meet Jesus in some way. wonder what difference would it make? Some of you, just sticking for a moment longer with the theme of hospitals and care, those of you who work in a hospital... What difference would it make if Jesus was a porter in the hospital? Like, how, how would it be different? I think it would be different. What would it be like? Those of you that work in an office, what would it be like if Jesus was the receptionist? Those of you who are students, what would it be like if one of the people waiting tables in your college was none other than Jesus? What what difference would it make to have Jesus present? Well, he is in us. So imagine that. We are the body of Christ. If only you knew that when you turn up in a place, Jesus is there. If only you knew. I was grateful to Keith sharing before I stood up about this morning being a time to alter perspectives. My prayer has been that as we've looked at these verses in Ephesians 1, it would indeed have altered our perspective on things. And that not just some additional bits of information, but that the whole picture would have been changed I just want to finish by by praying. I think we're going to then do a bit more praying after that. Father God, with the Apostle Paul, we want to keep asking, each one of us for ourselves, we want to keep asking that you would give us a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and we pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart Lord, we pray not merely for more information, but for revelation. Lord, we pray that you would give us an audacious assurance of what is true. We pray that you would give us a clear conviction. We pray that we would be profoundly persuaded that we would know you better. That we would know with a clear conviction, we would know that you have blessed us with hope and with riches, that we would know that you do bless us with your power 
And God, we pray that we would know who we are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.